Okay, then let's change subject and finally we have the blood. We've had the name, we've had the word and now we're going to look at the blood. And our base scripture for this section is Genesis 3.21. And the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Whilst I was preparing for this teaching, I came across a book in which the author spoke of God being a God far off in the Old Testament and a God of wrath. The following morning I woke with the thought, that's wrong, God was not a God of far off, but God who was separated from his people by their sin. As I pursued this, the Lord said, I, the Lord, change not. It was my holiness, not my wrath, that was displayed in the Old Testament. I cannot look upon sin. That's why the blood of my son has reconciled you to me. Blood is my chosen way, because the life is in the blood. He went on to show me that when the veil was rent in the temple, at the moment of Jesus' death, he was reconciled to his people, his creation. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. 2 Corinthians 5.19 God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Not counting their trespasses against them. Is that not the most marvellous statement? Not counting their trespasses against them, freely pardoned by the blood of Jesus. Many, many Christians, I find, have got this division between the Old Testament and the New. See God as being a God afar off, full of wrath, fire and brimstone in the one, and as the God of love in the other. Beloved, it's just not true. What a difference the truth is. He's never changed the way he feels towards us. And he will never change how he feels about us. He didn't suddenly love us because we believed in Jesus. He's loved us from before the foundation of the earth, beloved. He never changes the way he feels towards you and others. He loves every sinner just as much as he loves you because Jesus has paid the price. The vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. But the blood of bulls and goats, which was the Old Testament sacrificial system, could only cover sin. It couldn't bear it away like the blood of Jesus, who was the once-for-all offering for sin. His blood has eternal life pulsing through it. God gave them the sacrificial system to point to the ultimate sacrifice of his Son. And while we're on it, Jesus did not become sin. He was the sin offering. I know there are many schools of thought that he actually became sin. He could not do that, beloved, because he had to be sinless, as you'll see in a moment. His blood could not be tainted by sin. He became an offering for sin, a totally different thing. Hebrews 9.14 How much more surely shall the blood of Christ who by virtue of his eternal spirit, his own pre-existent divine personality, has offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God, 
purify our consciences from dead works and lifeless observances to serve the ever-living God. And an old hymn by a man called William Cowper. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins where sinners plunged beneath the flood lose all their guilt and stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day, and there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. I do believe, I will believe, that Jesus died for me, that on the cross he shed his blood from sin to set me free. Dear dying lamb, thy precious blood shall never lose its power till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Ere since by faith I saw the, thy, the stream thy flowing wounds supply, redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. It's redeeming love. And we find that right from Genesis. God had a plan. I know these are foundational truths, but it's good to get them deeper into our spirits by meditating on the greatness of God's benevolence towards us and the power in the shed blood of Jesus. All this is through no merit of ours. He totally loved what he created and from the beginning planned a people for himself who would love him. Sin separates sin is dealt with. We can freely come into his presence because we are accepted in the beloved through the shed blood of Jesus. A definition of sin is to miss the goal or path of right and duty, to incur guilt, incur the penalty of sin, to forfeit. All this has been freely dealt with by the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And it was not bloodless. Beloved, never take your salvation lightly. It is such a precious gift and something we should be thankful for and celebrate every single day of our lives. It was necessary for Jesus in destroying the work of Satan on the cross to ensure that death was not only stopped, but reversed. The death principle had to be dealt with and the life principle reinstated. And the life is in the blood. The blood carries oxygen which keeps you alive. Drain out your blood and you will be no more. The name, the word and the blood are inextricable linked. Just as light is the only thing that can overcome darkness, so life is the only thing that can overcome death. Leviticus 17.11 in the New King James For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. It's the blood that makes atonement for the soul. When they were created, Adam and Eve were clothed with light as with a garment, reflecting the glory of God himself. They glowed. Moses' face glowed. 
when he'd been in the presence on Mount Sinai. We see this in Exodus 34, uh, 29 to 40. And mine said it up, the shining face of Moses. Now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hands when he came down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterwards all the children of Israel came near, and he gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And when it, whenever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went to speak with him. Everything about God is brilliant. He's full of light and full of brilliance. So when Moses went to spend time with God, that brilliance radiated from him. This was the brilliance that Adam and Eve had before the fall. It's interesting to note that when Satan tempts Eve into disobedience in the garden, he refers to God as Elohim, not by the name that had been revealed to Eve, Jehovah. In doing this, he's taking the personal relationship away and all the love that's associated with that relationship and laying the base for what he wants to create, which is a God who is hiding something or withholding something from Adam and Eve. He's making God distant and just creator, not father. He's making him mean. Let's look at the scripture. Genesis 3.1 in the New American Standard Bible. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? It was not until the serpent beguiled Eve, literally caused her to forget God's instruction to eat from the forbidden tree, that looking upon his wife... Adam noticed something different about her. The glow had gone. She'd lost her brilliance. He is then faced with a choice. Fellowship with God or fellowship with his wife. He can't have both. If he chooses God, he loses Eve. If he chooses Eve, he loses God. A moment's hesitation and he makes his choice, which incidentally, as we will see in a moment, God had already legislated for, and he too loses his glory. The next thing we see is the first example of religion. Man trying by his own efforts to reach God and cover himself, they bind fig leaves together, literally apron themselves. Then Jesus turns up and we take up the story in Genesis 3.8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. 
But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Several points to note here. This is Jesus, the visible member of the Godhead, walking in the garden. He's seen several times see he is seen several times in the Old Testament. What does he do? Genesis three twenty NIV The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. He slaughtered an innocent animal, and while the skin was still warm, covered Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 9-13 in the New American Standard Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So here we have Jesus as the visible member of the Godhead, walking in the garden, seeking fellowship with his now fallen creation. Despite their efforts to cover themselves, only God's initiative is sufficient, and that with the shedding of innocent blood prefiguring the shedding of Jesus' blood on the tree at Calvary. Just want you for a moment to just visualise what's happening here. Here they are coming out from the trees naked. Jesus standing here calls a lamb, takes a knife, slits its throat and in front of Adam and Eve the blood pours to the ground as the lamb, legs buckling, dies in front of their eyes. Here we have an absolute example of the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the earth. What Adam and Eve saw was what happened on the cross at Calvary. The lamb slain. Revelation 13.8 All who dwell on the earth will worship him whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Salvation apart from sacrifice is unknown in scripture. Blood is so important. So at this point I want to spend a few moments now looking at the virgin birth because there are some people today, including Christians, who think that the virgin birth is not important. Beloved, it is absolutely foundational to our understanding of the blood. The virgin birth is foretold in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, emphasis mine. The seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. 
It is vital to understand this because it points to the virgin birth. Physically, the fall is passed on by the man, so there could be no human involved in the conception of Jesus. If there had been, he would not have been sinless. Jesus was born of the seed of Mary, but conceived by the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit. To see this, we need to look again at Luke 1, verses 31 and 35. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. The angel answered to her and said, The Holy Spirit will, as is in response to Mary's question, I'm sorry, I didn't make a break there for you. Uh, verse 31, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. Then verse 35, in answer to her question, the angel answered her and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. Hebrews 10.5 Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. Jesus was the only human being who ever, ever, who was not a sinner at birth. And David the psalmist knew this in Psalm 51 verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the very time my mother conceived me. Interesting insight he had. Because the fallen nature is passed on through the male, Jesus had to come from the woman only. The virgin birth was therefore absolutely necessary, and indeed it was revealed in Genesis 3.15 as we've already seen. Jesus is always referred to as the spotless lamb. This relates to his conception in the womb of a woman without human participation, which rendered him sinless and spotless. The holy babe planted in Mary's womb was from the woman's seed. Genesis 3.15 But conceived, given life, by the Holy Spirit who overshadowed her. So Jesus had a woman for his mother and God for his father. In a book by a man called H. A. Maxwell White, The Power of the Blood, he says this, the female ovum of itself has no blood, neither has the male sper spermatozoon. It is when these two come together in the fallopian tube that conception takes place and a new life begins. The blood cells in this new creation are from both father and mother, and the blood type is determined at the moment of conception, and is thereafter protected by the placenta from any flow of the mother's blood into the fetus. Is that not the most marvellous thing you ever heard? The mother's blood cannot pass through into the child. This is not a normal conception. Mary supplied none of her Adamic blood at the conception of Jesus. All the holy child's blood came from his father in heaven. Jesus' blood, therefore, was totally without the Adamic stain of sin, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God.
Glory to God, Jesus Christ is unique. As a man, he's also God. He's unique in the Godhead too, because as God he became man. God the Father and God the Holy Spirit are not man. They are not visible. But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is both God and man, who became visible and perfectly united forever. Jesus is our man in glory. Just to emphasize this, if Jesus had had a human father, he would have been born with a sinful nature and a dead human spirit. He would have been a slave to sin like the rest of us, and salvation would have been impossible. Genesis 3.15, therefore, is not only the first statement of the good news of salvation in the Bible, but a clear statement about Jesus' virgin birth. Isaiah 7.14 says this, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. This was one of the numerous signs given to the Jews to alert them to look out for their Messiah. Other signs included throwing down of thirty pieces of silver in the temple, Jesus' miracles, which were the credentials of the Messiah, the rending of the curtain in the temple when he died, and many others. And we can't leave this subject without addressing the fact that Mary was called a virgin. And this has been the subject of much higher criticism, where man has argued that this did not mean that Mary had not been with a man. It is true uh, that the Hebrew word used in Isaiah 7.14 for the virgin is the word Alma, A-L-M-A-H, and it can also be translated young woman, and some have used this to cast doubt on the virgin birth. However, unfortunately for these critics, in Matthew 1 verse 13, where it says the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us, prophecy is history written in advance. Matthew quotes from Isaiah 7.14 and the Greek word which he uses, parthenos, P-A-R-T-H-E-N-O-S, can only mean a virgin, a girl who has not yet known a man. So the Jews were to look for a miraculous event, which was that a baby boy would be born to a virgin, and one of his titles was to be Emmanuel, God is with us. When our glorious Saviour and Lord chose to leave his position in heaven to become a man, he chose to live his life on earth on human terms. In his humanity, Jesus voluntarily took on certain limitations, such as knowledge. These limitations did not mean he ceased to be God in any way. While he was lying in the manger, blowing bubbles, he was still holding the universe together didn't mean either that he gave up his authority as God, but rather that he chose to lay aside his right to exercise the divine prerogatives 
and choose to be dependent on his father's will for any exercise of his divine abilities, which, of course, was an example for us. We should be reliant on his Holy Spirit. So he lived his life on earth as a man with limitations. His whole being surrendered to his father's will, the perfect example of how God intended man to be. So there's life in the blood of Jesus. And when it is properly used and applied, it will conquer and overcome the death that works within us and through us through sin. Ephesians 1.7 in the Amplified says, In him we have redemption, deliverance and salvation, through his blood, the remission, forgiveness of our offences, shortcomings and trespasses, in accordance with the riches and generosity of his gracious favour. It is his father's desire that we should be restored to the position that Adam lost, to the place of authority that is ours. The price has been paid, the deal has been sealed with the precious blood of the Lamb. We have been delivered from sin and the death it brings, bought with a price, and the price was his precious blood. 1 Peter 1.19 in the Amplified says this, But you were purchased with the precious blood of Christ the Messiah, like that of a sacrificial lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus' blood is precious to the Father, and it should be precious to us. Conclusion then. The moment Adam and Eve fell, death entered into the world spiritually and physically, and every single child born from their union carried that legacy. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. Romans 5.14 in the Amplified says, Yet death held sway from Adam to Moses, the lawgiver, even over those who did not themselves transgress a positive command as Adam did. Adam was a type, prefigure, of the one who was to come. In reverse, the former destructive, the latter saving. Before the cross he loved us from afar, because he was too pure to look on sin. Since the cross the veil is rent, and the way is open for us to call him Father. Jesus has done it all. Ephesians 1, 3-6 Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise and glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the Beloved. We are, in reality, as we saw right at the beginning of the Passing the Button meetings, higher than Adam. Adam was created on the earth. We are now situated in heaven with Christ as our position. And Ephesians 2, 4 and 5 in the Amplified, but God so rich is he in his mercy, because of and in order to satisfy the great and wonderful and intense love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, slain by our own shortcomings and trespasses, 
He made us alive together in fellowship and in union with Christ. He gave us the very life of Christ himself, the same new life with which he quickened him, for it is by grace, his favour and mercy, which you did not deserve, that you are saved, delivered from judgment and made partakers of Christ's salvation. All I can say to all that is hallelujah and amen. So beloved, have a blessed Christmas tide doing whatever you find appropriate. Thank you for listening. We will be back on the 30th of January 2010 when our first teaching is Rise Up My Love My Fair One and Come Away. The first of our sessions on living an intentional lifestyle. Be blessed and celebrate him, his name, his word and his blood every day of your life till you go to be with him. Amen. Thank you for listening.